Exciting news, everyone! The Introvets Podcast Merchandise Store is now open for summer 2023. You can find the store by going to our website, that's www.introvets.com, and clicking on the Merchandise tab at the top. We are working with a super awesome local company called Apparel Lab. The current offerings will be available for order through September 12th. But we do plan to do more orders throughout the year, including some seasonal items for fall and Christmas. But go ahead and check the store out. You can also find more information about the merch launch on our social media. I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to Introvets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to Introvets Podcast. Hello. Today, we have a very special guest for you. We have fan favorite Dana Hampson, the therapist, back on the podcast. So I'm going to introduce Dana again. (laughs) Dana is a licensed professional counselor and co-owns The Balanced Life in Madison, Alabama. The Balanced Life is a private practice specializing in counseling, training, and practice building services. Dana has a master's degree in community agency counseling and another master's degree in business administration. She has been in private practice for nine years, and before that, she worked in a variety of mental health settings, including inpatient addiction treatment, adolescent residential care, therapeutic foster care, and in-home counseling. She has also been an adjunct instructor in the psychology department at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Dana is a counseling supervisor and works with new counselors as they work to obtain their full licensure. She is currently serving as the president of Chapter 2 for the Alabama Counseling Association. She is a 500-hour registered yoga teacher and teaches yoga in her free time. Dana and her husband, Randall, have been married for 25 years and have a 15-year-old daughter. They, along with their dog, Adler, are owned by their four cats, Oliver, (laughs) Lucky, Pumpkin, and Cookie. Dana, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. We are super excited about today's topic. So to get us kicked off, JJ is going to read a case. It's just a human case and not a veterinary case this time. (laughs) So JJ, uh, hit us with the first scenario. Okay. Scenario number one. Lindsay has been working as a credentialed veterinary nurse at her current vet clinic for five years. The clinic has experienced growth in the past year, and the owner started asking the medical staff to work after hours to catch up. She has already worked late three times in the last two weeks, and it's now Friday, and Lindsay has plans to meet her husband and kids for dinner. About an hour before she's scheduled to leave for the day, the owner asks her to work another two hours. She's fearful of what will happen if she declines, but she really doesn't want to miss dinner with her family. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. So, Dana. This type of scenario is super common in the helping fields, definitely common in veterinary medicine. Why is it so difficult for us all to set boundaries and push back when um, work is maybe making some unreasonable demands of us? Well, I think part of what is the problem for anybody in the helping field is they're in the helping field because they like to help. So people that come into the veterinary profession, people that come into the counseling profession, people that go into nursing, people that go into education, we all tend to have uh, a similar personality type in that we want to be helpful. We feel like that's uh, it's it's what we're good at. It's what we um, helps us feel feel valued. And so you know, when you've already got a little bit of a personality type towards giving, then you have a tendency to overgive. And it's hard to feel okay about saying no when this is something that um, you almost feel compelled to do. It's something that maybe you've done for a long time, but it almost becomes part of your personality. If I can give, then I should give. And so this happens in a lot of places where People feel like if I say no, it's going to impact someone else. And because I'm a giver, I tend to empathize pretty deeply with other people. I don't want to impact somebody negatively. And so it's hard to to say no, even if 
I suffer an impact as a result of my saying yes. There's definitely a fear that we're going to let other people down. And that might be the boss. It might be clients, even, Mm -hmm. or patients in the veterinary field. Clients, patients are two two different uh, entities. But um, in this type of situation, how can we manage our fear of disappointing other people? Well, it starts with recognizing that no matter what, somebody's going to be disappointed here, right? Like if okay. if I uh, say, no, I've already worked an hour over, I hate that this is going to be an inconvenience for someone, but I am going to go home. My family's expecting me. I'm going to disappoint perhaps my boss. It might impact my coworkers. You know, sometimes it's the less of, that I'm worried about the boss is that I don't I don't want to impact my coworkers. I don't want them to have to work over too. So mm-hmm. I sacrifice uh, so they don't have to. And so, uh, the, but the flip side of that is then who also if I say yes at work, who's going to be disappointed? And it's going to be my my partner, my children. And that's actually something I work with clients on is when you think about at the end of the day, you're so worried about your boss being mad at you or your coworkers being disappointed. But on the other side of that, there's somebody else that's going to be if you go ahead and commit to this, you go ahead and say yes. And who would you rather at the end of the day disappoint, your family or your boss, your coworkers or your children? At the end of your life, who are you going to be glad you said no to? Sorry, kids, I wasn't home to be with you because I didn't want to disappoint my boss. That, to me, makes it easier to say no when I recognize what's really and truly important to me from a values perspective. Is it letting my family down or is it letting my boss down? Hmm. So this idea of really no matter what I do, someone's going to be disappointed, so I'm going to make a choice about who I'm going to let down because we can't keep everybody happy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. People pleasers want to make everybody happy, but it's this constant people pleasers are often perfectionists, which keep them locked in this. I never actually feel okay because there's a yin and a yang to everything. So I, I make this one person happy. Somebody else is disappointed in that choice. And so if I go through my life letting other people be the barometer for whether I'm doing the right thing or not, whether I'm living my according to my own values, then I'm going to be in this constant state of it's not enough. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we can all acknowledge that taking the feelings of others into account when we're making decisions is reasonable, you know? Sure. Perhaps even ethically essential in some circumstances. But I think we can also agree that you you just can't please everyone at, all the time. So I guess let's take a step back and say, um, why and when might it be important to consider the feelings of others when we're making a big decision? Well, I think it's reasonable to always take them into consideration. So I can let that be a factor, but it doesn't need to be the the driving force behind what I do. frankly, a lot of times we take those things into consideration and we're making an assumption about how the other person feels or what they're thinking. So I think my boss will be mad at me. I feel like my coworkers are going to be upset. And neither of those are facts, right? Now, if my boss says, uh, I'm going to be super pissed if you go home early tonight, or not early, if you go home uh, one hour late, (laughs) one hour late, I'm going to be super mad at you, then then we've got some facts to to consider, right? But a lot of times we're basing it on what we assume someone else is thinking or feeling, which is a terrible decision-making model, period. But I think if I, you know, know someone well enough to know, you know, this is going to be an inconvenience. If I leave early, this is this is an in, this going to inconvenience somebody. Or if I don't go ahead and go home, my spouse will. But good, it's there's a good likelihood is going to have some feelings about this, right? Sure. So I think it's important that we acknowledge, you know, that someone has feelings associated what with what we do, but. I've recently heard of this concept, and I've talked about it with therapy clients for years, that two things that feel opposed can actually exist together. So it's called multiplicity. So it's that there can be two realities at the same time. So 
For example, um, I can be really excited about a new job and also be super anxious about it. So it doesn't feel like anxiety and excitement should exist in the same realm, but they do often. Um, and so it's the same thing. I can acknowledge that my boss might be disappointed if I choose to go ahead and go home. And I can accept that her being disappointed is okay. Because ultimately, I'm not responsible for that disappointment, that someone else called in, it's not my fault, that they scheduled too many people, not my fault, that they have too much work for the people they have a part of the team, not my fault. So I do what I can. I accept that I have a job to do and I want to do a good job at it. I accept that uh, their poor planning might constitute some disappointment on their part. However, I'm not responsible for that. So... I take their feelings into account, but it's not the thing I'm necessarily going to base my decision, my final decision on. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thanks, JJ. <laughs> so when does our consideration for feelings of others cross from helpful to unhelpful? Mm, that's a great question. So the first thing I consider is that, you know, people pleasers can often end up being or actually feeling pretty resentful. The more I say yes, and I'm not really saying yes authentically, I'm saying yes because I need everybody to be okay with me. I need nobody to be mad at me. Uh, I need everybody to feel okay about what I'm doing, but ultimately, I'm not necessarily doing what's best for myself, and that feels shitty. So I don't feel good about that, and then I feel taken advantage of, um, which ultimately leads to feeling resentful. And I think resentment is probably one of the most toxic emotions we can experience. It makes us ill physically, and from a psychological perspective, it's a terrible headspace. Um, because I, I actually saw something recently that you know, when we don't say yes authentically, we're going to feel resentful. So if it's well, I guess I can, or, well, I'd, I really, it's really not convenient, but, you know, I'll, I'll stick around and stay. You know, I'm not saying yes authentically. I'm saying yes because I feel the need to please others. I, I feel like I'm trying to be helpful, but it doesn't feel like the best thing for me. I'm going to ultimately, it's not going to be, it won't be helpful for me because I'm going to feel resentful. And then over time, I think what happens is you establish yourself as the person who's always going to do the extra thing. You're always going to stay late. It, everybody can kind of count on you to be the rescuer at your place of employment. And then you almost end up enabling folks. They, they kind of count on you to be the one that they can always count on. And that also feels really burdensome because it, it feels like and actually is uh, that you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. I, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> uh, probably every people pleaser on the planet can identify with that. It's like it just, everybody's like, yep, that's not, it's not a good feeling to feel like you're being taken advantage of. Yeah. Or to recognize you are. I keep saying that you feel like you are, but actually it's a, it's a real experience when, yeah. you know, people don't, uh, necessarily have to plan to do differently if they know, well, ah, we don't have, JJ will do it. You know, we can count on her to step up to the plate. Um, she doesn't seem to mind because most people pleasers are real good at acting like it's not a big deal, even though internally it feels terrible. Um, my problem is like, I generally at first don't mind. And then it's almost like the resentment sneaks up and hits me out of nowhere. And then I kind of go from, Everything's fine to, I'm very angry. Why am yeah. I angry? Yeah. I don't want to do this. Why am I, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Well, I do a lot of work with clients on mindfulness. And the more in tune we are in the moment with how we're feeling and what we notice with our physiology, or even just that we can kind of slow down for just a second and just think, does this make sense for me? Does it make sense for me to say yes? Because sometimes saying yes, and this is not people pleasing, it may help the team out. But if I'm like, ah, you know, if I stayed over and I got paid a little extra, I could use that for a birthday present that I need to buy. That actually makes sense for me. Or husband actually just texted, he's taking the kids out for pizza so I can help out and then I get some comp time, you know, but that's different than I'm going to do this because I don't want anybody to be mad at me, or I don't want to put anybody out, or I want yeah. people to validate me. But I've got to be 
I've got to be present and mindful and in tune with myself enough to be able to pause for just a second so I can say yes authentically. I'm not saying yes impulsively um, so that I really feel like I'm making a decision that that is healthy for me. And it's not about putting myself first all the time. It's about taking what I need in my own life into account, just like I do, you know, I, I factor in, I want to be a good team player. If I can help, I will. I want to be a good partner. I want to be a good parent, whatever it is, but I got to balance all those things out. And I'm the expert on whether this decision makes the most sense for me, given what's going on in this particular moment. For those of us that have this trouble with tolerating the unc- the tolerating the discomfort of the idea of someone mm-hmm. being disappointed with us yeah. <laughs> whether it's guilt shame resentment i mean we just can't we cannot stand the idea that someone might view us in a negative way or be a little disappointed how does that happen like how does it come to be how might it develop over time and and why do we continue to yeah, sort of adjust what we choose to do based on others' opinions if it makes us then resentful to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, so a lot of our, our tendencies towards people-pleasing go back a long, long ways. So I don't work with a lot of people that as adults say, this happened overnight. I used to be super firm in my boundaries. I used to be super assertive. And all of a sudden, I just can't say no. Most people can look back and see how this developed over time, you know, whether it was in their uh, interactions with their family, um, the role they played in their in their sibling group, what was expected of them, maybe even through uh, information they received through their churches sometimes. You know, I definitely think, uh, I hate to generalize about the South because I I love being a Southern person, but uh, we have the corner market on people-pleasing and passive aggressiveness in the South. And so it's almost ingrained in us that to say no when you could say yes is being rude. Or that we are supposed to be generous and selfless, especially if you're raised in a a conservative Christian religion. That's very much a narrative that many people that I work with heard is that putting yourself even equal to other people is not being a good Christian. And so, you know, being able to kind of let go of some of those narratives is the part of one of the first parts of kind of getting out of a people-pleasing behavior pattern is recognizing where where did this start how did you know how did how was i expected to interact with my family was i raised in a religion that really promoted selflessness that you know to be more like jesus it required you to always put other people first i mean that really promotes a something's really inherently gross about you if you put your needs equal to other people that that's selfish and so whether they heard it through church or whether it was just kind of the narrative in the family, always, you know, put other people first. Be, I mean, I think about like, we talk about being a nice girl. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means not causing any conflict, not ruffling any feathers, you know, sharing even when you don't want to, you know, all of these ideas that like, you know, to be a nice person, it means that you don't do anything that someone else might not like. And those narratives get really deeply ingrained in folks so that then as an adult, it just is automatic. They don't even necessarily think that it doesn't come to mind like, ah, does this actually make sense for me to say yes right now? It's just yes. It's a, you ask me, I say yes. There's no pause to examine, does that actually make sense? Where's this yes coming from? Yeah. So these messages that we pick up from maybe family uh, growing up, or maybe our cultural uh, social norms, or maybe even our religious practices uh, might suggest that we, you know, defer to other people. And somewhere in there, we kind of go from take other people's feelings into account and be generous to do everything everyone else says and always keep them happy. And that's where it becomes sort of a toxic cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm glad you said that about cultural as well, because I think that, no, I think I see that happen in, a, in families where it's almost considered disrespectful um, to someone that's older than you to um, have a different opinion or to 
uh, or to say no, if you're asked to do something to respect your elders, what does that what does that look like? What well, means do what they say, and so that can then translate in the workplace that you know you do what your boss says to do. If they say work, then that's that's what you do. If they need you to stay, you say yes because it's disrespectful to say no, or it's not being a good worker to say no. Like there may be some values that have been instilled that if they ask you to do it, then you say yes rather than that idea of, does it make sense to say yes? That I just don't think that's, that's just not what, a, you know, I think historically parents have even known to help their kids use as a decision-making model. It's like, absolutely take other folks' opinions and, and feelings into consideration. But at the end of the day, does it make sense to say yes is a, is a much better guide than they asked me, so I should say yes. So how can we work to become more comfortable with allowing others to experience emotions without feeling compelled to fix their emotions? Well, you know, I wish there was an easy answer here, but ultimately it comes down to distress tolerance. You got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, and so it's the more you practice it. So, you know, we, we develop these patterns. So what we do over and over, like just like what we hear over and over becomes normal. Now, I don't mean healthy normal. I just mean normal normal. We're used to it, right? So unless I do something different, I'm going to continue to interact with people in the same way. So I have to change that, and change is always uncomfortable. And so until I practice letting myself be uncomfortable by saying no, and I will have clients practice this, like role play with me, you know, play out kind of... uh you know, what are you what are you afraid of is going to happen if you say no to your boss the next time they ask you to work late or you say no to a friend that wants you to do to give them money again or, or a family member. Maybe that's a better example. Or, you know, really, you say no to anything because no is just real, real difficult for the people pleasers among us. And so getting practice saying no or not getting practice, but making sure people practice saying no ultimately is where how we get to a place where we feel more comfortable with it and so that's what i would say is that i work on it i practice it and then i ultimately realize i can't actually control how anybody feels no matter what i do no matter what i tell myself you know if i do this they'll be happy with me well the answer is maybe that's all it is if i do this they'll be disappointed in me maybe they may also respect you because you said no. They may be really pissed off that you said no. They may be sad that you said no. You have zero control over that. All you have control over is how you deliver that message. You are responsible for the delivery of that information. So you say it as professionally as you possibly can, and then you accept that they can have whatever feelings they want to have about it, and you have zero control over it. So it ultimately is an exercise of recognizing what we can and can't control and doing a whole lot of practicing so I can sit with that discomfort until I get to a place where Maybe it's never my favorite thing. I don't know anybody's like, I think it's the best thing ever to walk around saying no all day. It's probably a little <laughs> sociopathic if you enjoy that. But I would say it should be where it's at least mostly neutral or it's a little it's a little tiny blip on the discomfort scale, but it's not devastatingly so. I think maybe as a result of one of our conversations, maybe two years ago, I changed my default yes to a default no. Oh. And I haven't stopped. <laughs> I've just kept it going. Are you saying you like it now? Yeah, I do. Oh, I'm glad. Okay, I do. so I take I back literally... the sociopath comment thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Because <laughs> I definitely I, don't think you are. It, it's I, I totally get where you're coming from. It's fine. <laughs> um, I, I also don't think I'm a sociopath. <laughs> if I were a sociopath, I wouldn't have near enough. I wouldn't have near as much problems with anxiety as I oh, do. Oh, gotcha. Right. right. That's true. Uh, That's right. Yeah. So it's your litmus test. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Capable of anxiety, check. Right. <laughs> not, not a psychopath. Okay. So uh, when I started that experiment, I just got into the habit of being like, no, I don't think I can do that. And then reevaluating and then being like, maybe that is something I want to do. And then I, to this day, have never had anyone be like, oh, sorry, that opportunity is passed. Most of the time, like, oh, awesome. Yes, we'll still do it. Mm-hmm. But man, has it gotten me out of so many situations where I just would have been 
it would have been too much. Maybe it would have been a fantastic opportunity. Amazing. But I just have too many things on my plate and I wouldn't be able to enjoy it as much as I possibly could or even remain psychologically healthy. Sure. <laughs> right. It. Right. So that's helped me a lot. I'm glad. And I think, you know, another little uh, maybe life hacky thing is even if you can't automatically say no, you just can't quite get yourself yet there yet. Give yourself the pause of saying, hey, let me get back to you about that. So yeah. now in the situation that we went over, you know, obviously she needs to make a decision on the spot. Let me get back to you about whether I'll stay two more hours doesn't make a lot of sense. But there are a lot of times people ask you to do something and it's future focused. You know, could you do this for me tomorrow or could you do this next week? And, you know, giving yourself just enough time to think about it, to let yourself sit with, does that actually make sense for me, rather than that initial automatic people-pleasing yes, can really be helpful. So, you know, it, it, that's a good that's a good in-between. Until you can get to the place where no just comes out, then you do the, hey, let me get back to you on that, so then you can come back. And I, I love to encourage people to eventually get to a place where they don't even say, this is like, this is upper level empowerment stuff. So this is pretty <laughs> far down the spectrum. People have to practice a long time. We okay. also tend to offer a lot of reasons mm. when we say no. Sure. So no, I can't because. Because what we want them to say then is, oh, thank you for all those great reasons. I totally let you off the hook. We're good, right? I need you to pat me on the back with my boundary. Get, you tell need me permission. Yes. Tell me my boundaries. Okay. Thank you. And I'll feel so much better. So that's like second level of like people pleasing there. So I really get to a great place where I can say, hey, I really appreciate that this, this is really important to you. So I can validate their feeling all day long. Doesn't mean I'm going to change my no. However, that's not something I'm going to do this time, but I appreciate you asking me. Not even I can't, because I can't implies there's a lack of ability. And or and it's usually not. It's not that I, I it's not that I can't. It's that I frankly just don't want to or it doesn't make sense for me. So saying, I appreciate you asking me, but that's not going to work out for me this time. Or I think sometimes saying, hey, that I know that sounds super interesting. It's not really something I'm actually interested in. But thanks a bunch for asking me that is also OK. And that really makes people that people please cringe like that. I would even say I don't want to like that's real gross i just don't know because i don't want to but i think that's also okay if you read and i referenced this a couple years ago the the book not nice by aziz gazapura he talks about that and he has several examples where he just said he just didn't want to and our in our internal that's so selfish just wants to like rear up and like scream out at the person but it's actually not because again, he's the expert on whether something makes sense for him and simple in knowing I've had an exhausting week and I just don't want to is a good enough reason and I don't owe anybody an explanation for that. So, you know, if I can eventually get to a place where I can just say thanks, but no thanks and not feel like I need to explain and have my explanation validated is next level. <laughs> One thing Goals. that I uh, <laughs> one yes. thing that I struggled with for a very long time was this idea that you just mentioned of not saying I can't, but saying I am choosing not to. And yeah. I really struggled with it because I really felt like at the time, like, but I can't, you know, but I can't, <laughs> but I can't. Right. And um, I was very resistant to the idea that it truly is a choice. And I'm when I say resistant, I mean, for years, I was like, uh, no, I can't. It's not a choice. <laughs> but then somehow, I don't know, I, I guess just repetition, I finally came around. And once I sort of realized, wait, this is a choice I'm making. Mm -hmm. It did make me feel better to say like, OK, let's think about this. I can either choose to stay late. What is that going to entail? Apologizing to my family, making it up to them later. Is this important dinner or can we postpone it? You know, like, what does that mm -hmm. look like? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is, nope, I am choosing to go on home to just own it, mm -hmm. to just own it. Yeah, I know I, I'm going to go on home. I won't be able to stay late today. <laughs> Although I really struggle with it at first, I really like it now. But it Why do you think that was so hard time. for you, Lauren, to, to shift from can't to choose not to or choose to? Well... I think most of the time what I was talking about was 
you know, I mean, a decision related to work, right? So staying late, taking that one last client, you know, staying late for that emergency that just called and that sort of a thing. And I guess I felt like if, you know, if I say no, then what is the animal going to do? For me, I think the the place where the, the hump that was hard to get over for me was not so much the clients being upset. I could actually tolerate that like mildly to moderately. Mm-hmm. But the idea of the animal not receiving care is what really, really made me very upset. And so I think that's why I felt like I can't say no, because if I say no, then I'm making a choice that means the animal won't get the care that they need. Mm-hmm. But then after I thought about it some more, I was like, well, actually, that's not the choice you're making. That's the choice the owner is making. Right. Because there are how many 24-hour emergency? You know, like, mm-hmm. there, how, <laughs> how many in a, like, one-hour drive? Five different places they could go after hours, you know? That's not me making a choice to prohibit care mm-hmm. for the pet. That's just me taking my name out of the hat as far as options goes. Yeah. So it'd be super Does different mean, if you were yeah. literally the only person that might on the different. whole planet mm-hmm. that could do it, then it might <laughs> yeah. be, I really do have to. This is a life or death situation. I am literally the only person on the planet with the skills to do this. Then I might say, uh, okay. But 99.9% of the time, it is not a have to. I the the Really, the only have to's are survival things. I have to breathe. It's not optional if I want to continue to exist. But, you know, the rest of the stuff, I've been, one time I had a student in my yoga class, I, I always say that, like, you know, you, you don't have to do anything other than survival stuff. And she kind of joked, she's like, well, you've, you've not spent time with a toddler. And I was like, you know, because toddlers are demanding with what they, what they, what they need. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, well, first of all, I have because I had one. And then second of all, you still are choosing, right? Like if my toddler or my, my infant is screaming, I could choose to neglect that, right? So I choose to take care of that child's needs. I I don't have to, just like I, I don't have to obey the law. I choose to because I'd like to not go to jail, you know? So it's like, <laughs> we say things like, well, I ha- or I have to go to the gym. No, you don't. You choose to go to the gym. So it, I just remember reading a book where, it's called The Gift, and it's by a lady who survived, or a psychologist who survived the Holocaust. And the wow. and a big point of what she talks about in one of the chapters is the language we use when we talk to ourselves. And we say things like have to, the semantics are important, because what I'm implying is I don't have choice. I am not, I do not have agency. I am not empowered. So when I change it to, I choose to, or I choose not to, I'm in the driver's seat of what's happening in my life. I'm not giving decision-making power to anybody else because I'd like to hang on to that. For people who do struggle with people-pleasing behavior, how does that over-reliance on the opinions and, and feelings of others increase the risk of developing toxic and unhealthy relationships in the workplace and otherwise? Well, it's, you know, we kind of touched on this when talking about earlier in the um, session today, but ultimately what's going to happen is the, is a feeling of resentment and a resentment is going to kill a relationship. It just, a a healthy relationship and resentment just don't coexist with each other. So, you know, if I am not saying yes authentically, I'm going to end up resenting my partner. If I'm not saying yes authentically, I'm going to resent my coworkers or my boss um, or my friends. And I see it over and over where people just are They've allowed themselves to kind of psychologically be downtrodden because they have consistently said yes, but it's not authentically. They feel super resentful and taken advantage of um, and manipulated and mistreated, but it's because they've given away their power because they've, they've chosen not to say no, and they continue to give and then wonder why they are worn out and why they feel so bitter and resentful. But generally, hey, if you're willing to give, people are willing to take. So, you know, if I set that dynamic up with the, my boss and my coworkers and my 
uh, friends and my partner that I will just always, you can always count on Dana to say yes, well, then they're going to keep expecting that um, and kind of take for granted that that's going to just be the answer. Like there's a default yes to anything they want. So sometimes people just quit asking. They just assume, which is a real shitty place to get to. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) How might people pleasers inadvertently continue the pattern by expecting others to also cater to their feelings? Well, like I mentioned a little while ago about in particular Southern culture. Now I'll admit I've never actually lived in the North. So maybe, uh, folks in New York do this as well. I seriously doubt it's as much of a problem in other parts of the country as it is here because we're kind of bred to be, I just feel like people are bred to be people pleasers in the South. So I think um, one of the things I see pretty frequently with somebody who is in the throes of people pleasing is they end up being passive aggressive. So they don't They don't say what they mean, so they kind of say it. So they're looking for somebody to either interpret it, uh, they're looking for somebody to kind of guess what they mean, or to let them off the hook. So, you know, they might not come out and say yes in a super straightforward way, but they may say, well, I mean... I mean, I guess I I could stay. I mean, I'm supposed to be home with my family for dinner, but I mean, I mean, if you really need me to, and all woven in that is, please tell me I don't have to. Please take me off the hook so I don't have to be the bad guy by letting you down. And I hope you read between the lines, but for somebody who really needs somebody to stay, they're not going to read between the lines. I'm like, great, great. We really appreciate you staying. Can you go on back and get that pet back there and get started? So, you know, I think that that is something that that manages, that keeps that pattern kind of going because they never or often don't say specifically what they mean. People will misinterpret, not read between the lines or just straight up ignore it. They'll just take it at face value. You said, well, I guess I can. And they take that as a yes. And then, you know, the that person, the person that's the people pleaser can end up not taking responsibility for their own feelings. You know, they're not looking at what's my role in the dynamic here? Why do I continue to be taken advantage of? And so sometimes I'll see a little bit of a victim mentality, like people just keep doing this to me. Why are people taking advantage of me? Why can't they respect my, that I need to be off work? And it comes back to that idea of if you're willing to keep giving, people are going to take. It is it's just a function of being human, I guess. And so if I'm not willing to say no, then I can count on people to be con- people to continue to look for me to say yes and expect that from me. And that's going to ultimately keep that pattern of kind of toxicness in that relationship is that I'm hoping you will take responsibility for my feelings even as the people pleaser, I hope you'll notice that I'm having a hard time, even though I'm not going to tell you that I am, because I I don't want to bother you with that. So maybe you'll guess that I am. And then when you don't guess that I am, then you, then I'm mad at you for that. And so, you know, if someone's in a relationship with someone that has this particular dynamic, it can be really frustrating for them because they're like, I don't, I, I don't ever really know what they want to do or what they say. Anywhere you want to go eat is fine. But then they seem pissed off with anything that I choose, you know, so they they just won't give themselves permission to speak up about what they're thinking or feeling, hoping that the other person will do that for them. I, I hate passive aggressiveness, but I got to admit my default, if I don't catch myself, I am very passive aggressive. It's, it's hard. It's a hard habit to break. Sure. I, but I, when... I, I am definitely that person that if I'm asking something of someone and they won't give me a clear yes or no, they're, they they end up being passive aggressive. I'm like, well, you didn't say no. So guess what? Mm-hmm. So that's probably bad, too. I'm, I'm terrible. Just going to go in my corner. No, actually, JJ, I would say that I don't I don't cater to that either. So if someone said if I say, hey, um, I can't even think of a great example. I ask somebody to do something and they're like, well, I mean, I guess so. Then I say, great. All right. Well, in case obviously your listeners can't see my face, but some of it's facial expression like, ah, all right. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, because I don't want to feed into someone else's responsible for interpreting your mixed message. 
So now I may say, are you sure about that? And they say, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. And so I'll just respond with, all right, well, I appreciate that. Especially when I managed people, I didn't feel like I asked unreasonable stuff. But if somebody wasn't going to say, well, no, actually, I can't. I've got dinner planned tonight and I need to go on home. They weren't going to give me the benefit of a straightforward answer. It's not my job to read between the lines and guess what they mean. So I, I tend to also take it at face value, even if, and I'm a, I'm a reader of people for a living, so I usually know, but I'm, I'm also going to, I'm going to take what they say because I, I don't want to reinforce that that, that, sh- that uh, waffly language is going to get us anywhere. Yeah, I had a tendency to do it more if it was like I knew I wasn't asking so much of someone, mm-hmm. if it was like actually someone that had a tendency to like do the least or the bare minimum when I was doing lead work. And I I had a tendency to not give any, any leeway with that. And I wasn't going to play the game of, well, are you sure? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, you can say yes or no. Mm-hmm. But I'm guilty of doing the same thing. So, <sighs> <laughs> So we talked a little bit about resentment and guilt already. Um, mm-hmm. But are there any other negative outcomes that might occur if you base your life on the decisions and preferences of other people? So, yeah, I think so. Ultimately, it's easy to kind of lose a sense of of yourself and who am I? If I'm not showing up authentically in my interactions with the people around me, does anybody actually know who I am? And you know, I have had people with really strong people-pleasing tendencies talk about that. Like, I don't think people even actually know me. I don't think people understand me. I don't think they know what my preferences are. And I'm like, well, I feel pretty certain you're correct if you don't ever tell anybody, if you don't assert that, if you don't, you know, speak your own truth, then no, people see an image of you. They see a they see a narrative that you're presenting, but it's not authentic. And I think what is the point of life if we're not showing up authentically in it? You know, if this is our one shot, don't I want to live it as as genuinely as I possibly can? And again, that's not about being self-absorbed or selfish or not caring about what other people think, but it's about balancing taking that into consideration and being empathetic and compassionate, but extending that to myself as well and treating myself with some compassion and knowing I am the expert on my existence. And so being able to, you know, show up in a real true way in my life is going to involve saying no, probably pretty consistently, you know, and then saying yes in a way that makes a lot of sense and, you know, helps me live my life in a really genuine way. So at the heart of all this, it's about authenticity. If I'm always saying yes, and I really don't want to, I am not being authentic in my relationships. I'm not I'm not really being myself if I'm always trying to navigate in such a way that manages as much as I can other people's emotional experience. I'm I'm almost living out of body at that point. If you lose your sense of being in touch with yourself, then it's impossible to build intimacy in any relationship then. Absolutely. I mean, part of really what helps us connect in relationships with folks is them is is having different opinions. It's talking about things on a deeper level. So if I'm always approaching my interactions with someone with how are they going to feel about this and what are they going to think and are they going to approve, I'm not giving them anything genuine or deep about me. I'm I'm really living very much on the surface in a a reactive sort of way, not in a genuine, let's kind of explore this sort of way, you know, whether it's, whether it's with work or really any of my relationships, if I really want people to get to know me, just like I'd like to get, actually, I think that's, that that would be how I would look at that is what I want people to do this to me. Do I, would I want people to show up in their relationship with me and not be genuine and authentic? Would I want them to be in their head all the time about what I think about what they say and do? And most all of us would be like, no, of course I want them to tell me what they think. Of course I would want them to say no, if it made sense for them to say no. So why don't we extend ourselves the same courtesy? It's a good question. How do you turn your brain off? <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes back to that distress tolerance. We have to we have to practice it, but then we also have to remember that 
half of the time, what we're worried about is an assumption. I'm assuming this is the way they're going to feel. I assume this is the way they feel. I'm assuming this is what they think. And people will say that. Well, they're going to think this. That is an absurd statement. How could I possibly know what anybody's going to think? Or, well, I know this is how they're going to feel. No, you don't. There's a possibility they'll feel that way. And that's okay. That's a normal feeling when somebody doesn't do what you want them to do. Just like if my kid was still little and she wanted... I don't know, say she wanted uh, uh, a big Mountain Dew at, at Target and I didn't let her drink Mountain Dew. Well, she might be really upset about that. And that's okay. Being upset because she didn't get what she wanted is a really normal response. Most of us aren't like, oh, that's fine. I love being disappointed. Like f- feeling disappointed is a legitimate feeling, but it's not my job to keep her from feeling disappointed. It's my job to help her understand her feelings And then to know how to move forward, especially if the no that I gave her was in her best interest, right? And so it's the same thing in our friendships, whether it's in, you know, I think this is a good no for my friend, but really it's, is this a good no for me? Is that that's okay that they have feelings about that. I may or may not know what they are, but even if I do, that's okay. They can have feelings and I can still say no. So that's that multiplicity. That's letting those two realities still exist together. So it doesn't have to be, I say no and they're okay with it and my world is good. Or I say yes, so they'll be okay with it. My world is good. I can say no, they may not be okay with it and my world is still good. So what other techniques can be used to learn to rely less on the opinions and emotions of others when making decisions? Well, so we talked about practicing. So, you know, getting comfortable with... Uh, setting boundaries. What does a boundary look like? Remember, a boundary is what you yourself are willing to do, right? I can't make someone else do something. So I can decide what my boundaries are and what I'll do um, if the person chooses to push that. But I have to practice. I have to think about what that's going to look like. You know, we talked about the idea of, you know, all I can do is give somebody information. And I have to remember that You know, people may be pleased with the information I give them. Um, People may not be pleased with that, but I am not in control of that response. So I have to accept that they will have feelings about this and that's okay. Um, Let's see. We talked about mindfulness. So being able to kind of be fully present in the moment so that I can really tune in and examine, does this, does this decision, does this saying yes make sense for me? So I have to be in the moment to be able to do that. And then I would, I think uh, what's always interesting to look at with clients is is looking at values. So, you know, what is really important to me? What what stands out in terms of the values that drive my decision making? And where does that come from? You know, because a lot of times people haven't even stopped and thought about their values maybe ever or in a really long time. So they may be carrying some old narratives of things that maybe were their parents' values or were their church's values or their cultural values that they haven't really stopped and examined. But does that make sense for me in my life right now? You know, that may have been important to to dad back in the 1960s, but is that important to me? Does that something I want to carry on? Or, you know, that may be in how I was raised in my church, but that doesn't really make sense for me at this juncture in my life. I don't ascribe to that anymore. Or, you know, culturally, there may be, there may still be kind of a push for this particular way of engaging in relationships, but I, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's not something that I want to continue to do. So just exploring what is it that I actually believe about what relationships look like and what I want to have happening in the relationships I am, I'm in and how do I want to show up in my relationships can help me really define what those values are so that I'm making decisions based on my values. I'm letting that guide my interactions with others, again, rather than that automatic yes, which is not, it, which is not generally going to be values-driven in the present. It may be old values, but it's not, it, it's not necessarily my guiding principles now. I do want to take just a moment and acknowledge that sometimes in hierarchical structures like the workplace, there will be power dynamics that make setting boundaries more scary to do. Sure. And I always tell people whenever I, because sometimes I lecture about boundaries, you know, like professionally, 
we can never guarantee that everyone will respond positively to our boundaries. Right. That I can't guarantee setting a boundary won't result in your boss screaming at you. Like, I don't have control over that. Right. However, it's feedback about what you should do about that relationship. Mm -hmm. How can we acknowledge those power structures and differences that exist in the hierarchy and still advocate for ourselves? Well, let me let me say this first. I think it's important to recognize that very often when with the people we have to very intentionally set boundaries with, they're the people that are going to like it the least. So we just have to get real comfortable with that. Like I, boundaries occur naturally in healthy relationships. I don't have to think about boundaries with my best friend. They just happen. She is emotionally intelligent. I'm emotionally intelligent. We don't have to set boundaries with each other because they naturally happen. But if I have a boss that pushes them um, or coworkers or a friend that does, then I'm going to have to be, or a family member, that's where it really shows up, then I'm going to have to be real (laughs) intentional about those boundaries and be okay with the fact that inevitably they're going to push back. That's actually what we practice a lot in therapy is let's let's play out the pushback because it's coming. So how can you be ready for what's What's pretty likely? We're just predicting the future, which you can't really do, but you can guess. There's a good educated guess. But in terms of at work, I mean, you're right, Lauren, is that it's accepting that, you know, if if it becomes the the rule and not the exception that I'm being asked or expected to work over, then I've got to look at the bigger picture here. Is this where I want to continue to work? Is this a work culture that makes sense for me to stay? If I'm genuinely and professionally trying to establish boundaries and my boss is like, uh, F you, you better stay or I'm firing you, I really should look at whether that's where I want to continue to work. And people will say, well, I have to, I got to pay the bills. Yeah, you don't have to keep working there. It may be hard to find another job. It may be a challenge, but that doesn't mean you don't have options. And people will try to tell themselves that I don't have any other options. Yes, you do. It, they just may require a lifestyle change. It may be really uncomfortable. It may be scary, but you do not have to stay there long term. Uh, and so I think sometimes those are the things we tell ourselves. Well, I have to stay because I don't have any choice. Well, that's a, that's a real easy way to talk myself out of establishing a boundary. So yes, I, this is not, you'll never hear me talk about anything and the, the in parentheses is, and also this is super easy because it's not, (laughs) this is all really hard to do. It sounds easy. And I can sit in my therapist chair all day and look at clients and be like, well, here's, let's talk about that. Let's practice that. Oh, you got it. It it doesn't mean I know that's going to be easy. It sounds simple. But the execution is a challenge, especially when money's on the line um, or professional reputations on the line or things that are are necessary and are important. But just because it's hard doesn't mean we don't need to do it and we don't need to find ways to, uh, you know, really practice being able to show up in a real way in every place I go. We stay way too long. We spend way too many hours at work not to be genuine and authentic there. I, that's. 40 hours of my of, of my week that I'm not being myself, that's not, that feels real incongruent. Well, for the end of our episode, what I was hoping we could do is go back to the scenario. Okay. And practice. Ah, <gasps> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll be Lindsay. So Dana. Yes. I am Lindsay. Okay. And I am telling you about this in session. Gosh. Here's what happened. I was already there late for an hour. I had to meet my husband and my kids for dinner. It was really important, but my boss wanted me to stay late, and I couldn't say no, so I ended up going ahead and doing what my boss wanted because I was afraid he was going to be mad. I was afraid he was going to maybe fire me or yell at me, Um, and my kids and husband were real disappointed, and I feel so frustrated, and I need help. Gotcha. What should I do the next time? that this happens. Okay. So, Lindsay, I want to encourage you right off the bat to change a little bit of your language with how you talk about that. So, you said you had to go home to meet your husband and children. No, you didn't. That was a choice that felt really important to you. What you chose to do instead was stay at work. Um, But that's where I'd also change it because you said you had to stay at work because that's what your boss expected. So, in both cases, there was a choice to make. 
and you chose to stay at work, right? And then how did that end up feeling for you that that's what you did? I felt uh, really angry because I felt like my boss was making me do this and that I really didn't have a choice. And then when I got home, my kids had already gone to bed. Hmm. And so I missed that time with them. And my husband was really frustrated that we had set a date and then I didn't show up for it. Sure. So that's super tough. I imagine that felt pretty miserable for you, right? Yeah. So when you think about if this were to happen again, what do you feel like might be a reasonable boundary that you could set with your boss? Um, I can't today because I have uh, promised that I have to go to dinner with my husband and my kids, and I've already been here an hour late, so I'm going to have to say no uh, this time. Is that okay? Ah, okay. So I like that in terms of it's it's pretty firm until what? Where did it get a little, where did it get a little wiggly? Um, I ask a question yeah, at the so end. You, yeah, so I you're looking for, for his permission. Right, okay. right. Yep. So you're the expert on you, right? Yes. Okay. So you know what you're committed to. You know okay. what is important to you, right? And we've talked about values in, in previous sessions. So what is one of your most important values that we've talked about? Honesty and integrity. Okay. And then in your top five, if I remember, was your family. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the top five, was it approval from your boss? No. Okay. So when you think about what's really important, it's being honest, it's doing what you say you're going to do, and your family. So yep. how can you express the no to your boss in a way that really honors those values? I I am overdue for family time, and that's really important to me. So I'm going to go ahead and leave for today. That is a beautiful boundary because you're saying what you're going to do, right? And you aren't over explaining, but you are expressing that there's a good reason. And the way you said it, which was really firm, there was no question at the end of it, implies this is not negotiable, right? Without saying this is not negotiable, right? That that feels like a little bit of a threat when people say that, like, I will not talk about this with you. But I can express empathy even with my tone that I know this is hard. You know, I know that I do know they need help. But I also know what my values are. And I've already gone above and beyond, so I don't need permission to say no, right? And so when you you express it, just like you did, which was a clear, reasonable response that didn't need any validation, you've done probably the very best you can with a boundary. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah, so what if your boss pushed back with that? So my boss was like come on, we really need your help. Like be Mm -hmm. a team player, like that kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is cry in the corner an option? (laughs) Uh, Okay. I recognize that it would be helpful for me to stay late. However, I'm going to leave because I have made a previous commitment to my family. Yep. So you you, um, can validate again that this is hard, just like you did, um, and then restate the boundary. Um, So really probably any version of that. I think what's really important, uh, and women, unfortunately, are notorious for this, when it really, somebody's almost inevitably going to push back on the boundary, right? It's just, you just got to almost expect it. And so if you met this with, well, I mean, I really need to go on home. It's like we almost start to soften with the pushback. So if I stick Mm -hmm. with, yeah, I understand you guys really need help. I've already stayed an hour. I'm going to head on home. I, I've committed to that with my family. So it's like a, it's a, you get almost get a smidge firmer and then you got to get out. You got to go. Because if you give any, it's almost like blood in the water for sharks. If I let you sense any, like I'm waffling a smidge, they're, they're going to be like, oh, all right, there's my window. And I don't think people have this conscious thought, but it is just what we learn to do to get our way. And that's what everybody's trying to do. We're all just trying to get our needs met. And right there, your boss is trying to get the need met of having coverage. You're trying to get your need met of going home with your family, which is your value. So it's being okay with that 
and in, and then really kind of ending the just like you know if someone's having a, a conversation on the phone with a family member who's pushing a boundary, I'll say you know it's okay to tell them, hey, I'm gonna let you go. I love you, and you hang up the phone. You're not hanging up on them, even if they say that's what you did. You ended the phone call because they were pushing that boundary that you had already advised was there. And so this is kind of that same thing. You don't continue to stay engaged because then there's you're inviting uh, more opportunities for a boundary push. Okay. All right. Problem solved. Yeah. All just right. now, just that quick, boom, all my right. life. No, right. no, it'll be this hard every time. <laughs> I can say from experience. Not this. Um. No, it does get easier. It may never get easy, right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It does get easier. Yes. And, and sometimes you can even have like a funny... I mean, sometimes it becomes an inside joke. Like if you talk with people who maybe are your colleagues or maybe in a managerial role enough about like I'm working on boundaries, you can kind of get to the point where you're like, bye, you know, (laughs) and they're like, all right, I know. I know what you mean. Okay. JJ. Yes. Here's what let's do. I will read the scenario. JJ is going to role play as Rebecca and Dana is going to role play as Dana, the therapist. Okay. (laughs) Dana, starring as herself. <laughs> okay, Rebecca JJ. <laughs> Rebecca got a text today from a previous coworker that is now working for a different practice. The place that the coworker or the place that that previous coworker is working now is new and needs additional employees. Rebecca and the previous coworker are friends that have worked together for several years. The former coworker is pushing very hard for Rebecca to join her at the new place, but Rebecca has reservations. Rebecca likes where she is at right now and would not only have further to drive if she made a change, but she would also likely have to take a pay cut. Rebecca wants to decline the offer, but her friend has already told the owner of the new practice that there will be no issue getting Rebecca on board. Now Rebecca is afraid that she will disappoint her friend and everyone at the new practice if she says no. So, Rebecca, where are you at right now when you think about what feels really important for you? So you kind of want to decline, but you're concerned about what your friend thinks, right? So what feels most important to you right now? I, I feel like I know what the answer, I know what my answer is. I, I know I want to stay at the practice I'm at. What my fear is, is that not only will I be disappointing the friend, but could I be damaging any future like networking with this clinic? Because say, for instance, I wanted to maybe move in the future if something, um, an opportunity comes up where I would be making more and would make it worth it. Am I burning a bridge? And also, what if my current employer gets wind of this because, you know, the veterinary field is everybody talks. So what if my current employer gets wind and now all of a sudden they're looking for a new person to work here because they think I'm leaving. So I'm kind of afraid uh, as to what move to make, even though I know what my answer is. That's okay. I'm really glad you clarified that because there's there's several layers there that, you know, someone who doesn't work in the field, I might've missed. So So first of all, thinking about your friend being disappointed in you. So who is the expert on your existence? Me. Okay. And if you keep that in mind and you think about making decisions based on what makes the most sense to you, then what makes the most sense would be to stay at a job that you like where you don't have to drive very far and you make more money, right? Mm -hmm. So part of it is appreciating that it's okay for your friend to be disappointed to recognize that that's fine. Of course, it's disappointing. She'd like to work with me. I appreciate that she'd like to, but it was enormously presumptive of her to basically say you're going to go work there. I mean, hugely presumptive. It actually is well-intended, but very rude. Um, So, you know, being able, if talking to your friend about it, if she is upset, you can say, hey, I get that you're disappointed, but it, it really wasn't um, your place to make that commitment for me. Um, and in the future, I certainly would need you to consult with me and let me handle that. This is my career. So I can validate my friend's emotions and also right. still stick with my no, right? 
Now, in terms of what that new practice owner might think based on all the information they have right now is your friend's information and whether your current boss gets, you know, wind of that you, someone promised you were going to go work somewhere else idea. What do you think might be a solution in both cases? First thing that comes to mind is to actually talk to both parties and just say, hey, um, yeah. I don't, you know, as for my current boss, I don't know if you're aware, but this this scenario happened. I just want to reassure you that I have no intentions on leaving. And mm-hmm. as for the other place, just say, you know, I don't know, my, my first inclination is to say, I'm sorry, but it wasn't my fault. So not sorry. But um, I know that she made some mm-hmm. promises that on my behalf, but I just want to let you know that um, I, I need to stay where I'm at right now, but I, I, I appreciate that you would be interested in me working there and, um, you have a very nice place and, uh, maybe in the future, if things change, I could be open to working, but I just, for now, it's best for me to stay where I'm at. Okay. I think that's awesome. The only things I would suggest mm-hmm. is you wouldn't lead with an apology because you're not doing anything wrong. And that is a tendency of, of people pleaser, pleasers across the nation is I'm going to apologize, right? Because there's me saying no feels inherently wrong. So I'm, but I haven't done anything wrong. I am the expert on myself. I'm doing what makes the most sense. And so I'm going to lead with, I really appreciate that you would be interested in me for this. That really means a lot to me. I think you've got a gorgeous practice. This is not something I'm going to pursue at this time. I um, am going to stay put where I'm at, but I hope you would consider me in the future. And, you know, I hope to, you know, maintain a really positive professional working relationship with you. So I'm keeping, absolutely keeping that door open between me and this other practice owner without being apologetic for my boundary or for my or for my no. But otherwise, I think that was brilliant. You know, I think being as succinct as you can when I say when you say no, because the more words you use, the more ammunition you give somebody <laughs> to argue, to try to talk you out of it. They're listening for something that feels I'm going to use the word weak, that feels soft, I guess, weak in your language to let that be how they maybe change your mind. So, you know, the more concise and firm you are with your no, the the, the less opportunity they've got to counterattack, so to speak. But I think that's a great, that would be a great approach because you are keeping that, you're keeping the bridge open there, but honoring what feels important to you at this point in time. Yay. Good job, JJ. (laughs) What I actually probably would have done in the past is just turtle and pretend it never happened. (laughs) Maybe they'll all forget about this tomorrow. (laughs) It'll just go away one day. Just change your phone number and like never speak to any of the people again. (laughs) Blow that bridge up big time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) What not to do. Well, Dana, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We are out of time for today, but I think that this episode is going to be really helpful in illustrating the problems with, you know, not embracing your values and living authentically, and also maybe to help show people sort of the mechanics of how boundaries work in real life. So I certainly hope so. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it a bunch. If you have stories, questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Sure do. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.